0: Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad that you are here and that you can be a part of a recent service at TCC. So let's join the service which is already underway and listen to the message.
1: Dive right in. I'm going to go ahead and call myself a liar at the very beginning of this lesson because I am not teaching you what I said I was going to teach And that is okay because the Lord changed my plan. And he's allowed to do that. So I just want to say that as we get into the lesson, if you remember what I said we were going to do tonight, I lied. We're not. We're not doing that. We are going to um, actually specifically conclude our series on Contagious Christianity. And we will be teaching what I talked about last week um, in the next couple of weeks. Okay, So um, we are at the final element of our fabulous formula in our book Becoming a Contagious Christian and so for the sake of review and the sake of those that maybe missed one or two lessons I want us to go ahead and look at this formula here um, and so if you're unfamiliar it may throw you for a loop but just to stay with you, me here for a few minutes and we will recap and revisit what we have been looking at in the word of God as we end this series tonight. The first element is high potency. We know that Jesus called us to be salt, to be light, to make a difference in the world around us. And those images of salt and light are so powerful because they're very clear and they're very relatable to us. I don't know about you, but not everything in Scripture makes sense to me right away. You know, I'm not a farmer, so some of those parables Jesus told... I have to kind of dig a little deeper to get the meaning out of it, right? But salt, I can appreciate. Any fans of delicious flavor? Yes. All right. Light, I appreciate. I'm one of those people that opens the blinds here at TCC. I'm like, what are we doing? Are we vampires? Why are all the blinds closed? I'm sorry. I just had to get that off my chest as an employee that's here five or six days a week. Okay. Let the light in. Jesus is the light of the world. Yeah, thank you. I feel better. But I wanted to read Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16 in the NIV this time. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything in heaven, And so that brings us to our second element here of close proximity, what that CP stands for. Now these last two verses that we just read in Matthew 5, Jesus gives clarity for the purpose of the light and the saltiness that we are to have. The light gives light to everyone in the house is a translation of what Jesus was saying. There it is, high potency. It's effective and close proximity. It impacts the people around it, and so are we. The light is not for your benefit as the believer. Let's just be clear about that. We're not the light of the world. We are not, um, we are not the salt of the earth for us to look good. Or to impress other people. But rather these things are to be present in us in order to help other people. Matthew 5.16 was our verse of the week a couple weeks ago. Does anybody want to quote to Coach Chris? Probably not. So let your light shine before men. My heart is touched. Hallelujah. We got some quizzers in the house that they may see your good works. That's why the light is supposed to shine. Not so they think we're awesome, not so that they feel worse about themselves, but they see your life and say, my goodness, maybe what they have is real. And Peter picks up Right where Jesus left off in 1 Peter 2 verses 9 through 10. We read it at the conclusion of the lesson last week. And I want to read it again to you in the NIV. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And I love verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Are you thankful for God's mercy in your life? That it'll never run out? That you'll never wear it out? Sorry, you used it all up. There's none left for you. We got to have more for everybody else. No, because we know it's available to everybody. And the third element we talked about last week, clear communication. Because of what we believe, because of what we've experienced, we are called by God to communicate these things, to tell other people. And so last week we discussed it solely from the perspective of our personal testimony. And we see this approach to evangelism very specifically in the New Testament. Just for review, three highlights here. The woman at the well in John 4:29, "Come, see a man who told me all I ever did. Jesus did this for me." Peter and John in Acts 4 We cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. This isn't hearsay. We're telling you what we know to be true. What we are eyewitnesses of. And then the blind man in John 9. Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. But one thing I do know. That though I was blind, now I see. Clear communication coming from the heart of somebody who's experienced the power of God. Not out of necessarily a textbook or even the Bible itself, but to say, I'm a living epistle. Let me tell you what Jesus has done. And so tonight, we conclude this series by looking at the final piece of maximum impact. In these past few lessons, we have tried to methodically look at the steps to effectively influencing those around us and intentionally Leading them towards Jesus Christ. And so this last step here, this MI, is probably as big of a leap for us as it is for the people that we are trying to reach. You see, up until this point in this formula we've gone over, that we have been working towards an end goal, and that goal is to bring someone close to this moment of surrender. Of acknowledging their need for God in their lives. To find a growing relationship with Him. We have been very intentional up to this point. And so what's it all about? We've been talking to this person. We've been praying with them about the things they're sharing with us. And so now the question has to become at some point in the conversation, what is next? What is God saying to you? What maybe they're asking, what am I supposed to do with what I am feeling? I love that in Acts 2, when Peter is preaching the word of God, they've seen this powerful demonstration of the power of God. They don't even know what they're seeing. And then they come to the disciples and they say, what are we supposed to do now? The Bible says they were pricked in their heart. They were convicted by what they felt, what they were seeing other people experience. And so they came to the disciples and they said, what do we do now? And that is what we've been working towards. And here's the thing that we have to grab a hold of tonight in anticipation of where we're going next week. That Jesus did not call us to just go and tell other people. He called us to make disciples. And so up until now, we've dealt with the going and the telling. But what does it mean to make a disciple? Have you ever thought about that? And an important question to consider is, how long does that actually take? What does that process look like? You see, the importance of communicating the gospel Is imperative, but according to Jesus, it is not the end of our assignment. It is not enough to just go. It is not enough to just connect and share and tell and answer questions, but we have to move people we're talking to beyond hearing us beyond asking questions beyond even just understanding what you're talking about even past just believing we must lead them to action and many times this is the part that we find most intimidating this is the part where we jump ship to say okay god your word says some planted and some watered but you give the increase so i'm done Jesus said, make disciples. There's no expiration date on that, you know, to go and to tell, check, check. But to make disciples, well, how long does it take to accomplish that? See, the Bible speaks in many different ways to the idea of spiritual transformation. And this is not a one-time event. Not according to the Bible. It's much more than praying a sinner's prayer. It's much more than just being born again. It's longer than just joining a church and attending it faithfully over time. You see, the Lord wants to do in the lives of others what he continues to do in our lives. I certainly hope we don't arrive at this topic thinking that we have arrived at a spiritual destination. I'll be honest with you, I am very much in process. He's still working on me. I hear Teresa Prophet sing in my mind as a small child. He's still at work in my life. And so why would we bring somebody who's new to Christ, new to the Calvary church, and drop them off at the door and say, good luck with that? Because that's not our experience, is it? We're connected to each other. We're a part of God's church. We're here trying to grow and learn and keep going in our journey. And that's what Jesus wants for everybody else. He wants to heal. He wants to continue to change. He wants to restore. He wants to send them. He wants to refill us. He wants to refill them. He wants to continue to renew and change our lives minds and the way we live our lives so how can any of these things happen unless we move beyond the how beyond the why and start introducing conversation that says but when and what are we supposed to do next and some of this points back to communication and since pastor tom is in 201 I'll go ahead and keep using the same illustration that I was using last week and throw us under the bus. You see, i it's Valentine's Day, right? And I can share my feelings. I can make uh, hints at expectations, some of which go unacknowledged, but that's fine. I can I can talk to him about how I feel and and even let him know what I feel like my needs are. But then at some point, I need to tell him what to do about it. To be fair, right? Isn't that part of communication? It's more than just hints and banging stuff around the kitchen to let you know I'm mad. But at some point, I need to tell him, well, this is what needs to change, buddy. Just ask Tom about it. He loves to talk about this. Because at the end of some of our discussions, he'll say, okay, what am I supposed to say right now? Because I know you have the script in your mind. Just tell me what my part is. You missed the point. (laughs) You're supposed to read between the lines and read my mind and tell me what I want to hear. What am I supposed to do, Kristen? What are you telling me to do? What do you want? What am I doing wrong? It's the same thing in any relationship that we have with other human beings. I can be mad at my kids all day long, but unless I clearly communicate to them not only what they should be doing, but what my expectation is and how they should fulfill that expectation. It's the same in our relationship with our coworkers, your spouses. I have to believe I'm not the only person that drops hints, banging pots in the kitchen. Even our friends sometimes, they don't know what it is exactly that we need them to do or want them to do. Because it's one thing to identify a problem and to talk about it, to talk through it. But it's important that we don't just identify the problem identify the solution, there has to be action at some point for things to change, for things to be resolved, for us to move forward. And that is part of our job as disciples and disciple makers. More about that next week. We have to know where we are leading people. And in order to do that effectively, And with sensitivity, we need to know where they are in their journey and in their process. And to be honest with you, this is the part that probably requires the most faith and the most courage is to not just kind of read between the lines and assess, but then based on what you feel in your heart, God is telling you to ask them to do something. And maybe it's, Are you ready to come to church with me? Maybe it's, maybe you should start praying about it. It's different for different people. But I have a quote from the book and I wanted to share it with you. The goal is not merely to tell people about Christ, that's the process. The goal is to lead people to Christ. At some point, we have to be willing to inspire and challenge them to do something with everything they're feeling everything they're considering, everything that we're talking about together. And it's our responsibility to be specific with them about what it is. Again, this is one of the reasons why I'm convinced that Jesus requires us as disciples to make other disciples. It makes us better disciples in the process. Because we cannot do any of this without his help. You talk about being in a high-pressure situation where you are totally dependent on God, moment by moment, to give you the words to say. Luke 12, 12. Anybody learned that last week? You hold on to that in this moment of maximum impact to say, Lord, you promised that the Spirit of God inside of me would tell me what to say when I need To say it. And so I want us to consider together ways to help people move forward toward the point of some kind of decision based on their individual situation. And so, in order to do that, let's consider three questions about the maximum impact moment in the equation. The first one is very fundamental, but it must be considered Are they interested? That's pretty crucial at this point. And so if they're defensive, if they're indifferent, we need to read between those lines. That they're being nice, maybe they're being polite, and maybe that's about all there is to this situation right now. And so if that is the case, we need to proceed with caution. We need to acclimate to that. Because there's nothing like a high-pressure sales pitch. Is it just me, or is that just like such a bummer and a turnoff? When you start feeling pressure, you just, I don't know. We have free will for a reason. God gave it to us. And when we feel like we're being pressured into something we don't want to do, it's our natural inclination to bow up against it. And we don't want that to happen when we're trying to share Jesus with people. And so we need to be sensitive to their body language, their response to what we have been sharing. The second question is, do they understand? And through conversation, you should be able to assess. Some people understand the gospel, but they are not ready to respond. I've talked to people who are more than willing to have these conversations, but they are not Wanting to do anything about it at this point in their lives. And that's okay. Know where they are and respect that. The Lord certainly does, doesn't he? Some people don't understand. Or what's worse, in my opinion, they misunderstand. They've had a bad experience in the church. Maybe they've had a bad experience with fellow Pentecostals. Again, sensitivity is required here because just because it takes somebody a long time to respond maybe through your invitation or what you're sharing, it doesn't mean that they're not processing what you're telling them. I have a wonderful example of this in my dear friend Jen Azzalini, who has been with us several times in the past year. I got permission from her this afternoon to share part of her testimony, but basically when Vinnie and her got together, neither of them were in the church. Both of them were former church members of different denominations. And Jen was actually raised Seventh-day Adventist, and she told me today she had actually had some really bad experiences with some Pentecostal girls that she went to school with, unfortunately. And so when Vinny made his way back to his roots as a Pentecostal kid, Jen was like, no way. I'm not doing that with you. And she had her reasons, but Jen agreed to a personal Bible study. And she had a personal Bible study for six months before she even walked on the church property. Think about what those Amazing people who taught her a Bible study were doing imagine their questions week to week month to month when she still wasn't coming to church, but we were still meeting And so just because somebody Has questions Maybe just because somebody is uncertain. Maybe they come across to you as critical or Overly analytical. That's not a bad thing Because that means they care They are processing what you're telling them in a very personal way. And that takes time. The third question is, are they ready? Are they ready to be pushed? Are they ready to be inspired to go to the next step? And that's something that we have to prayerfully consider Because we should have an attitude of expectancy through this whole process. God honors faith. And so from the very beginning of this process, whether it's through your high potency, your close proximity to someone, there should be faith in your heart to say, Lord Jesus, if I am willing to reach somebody who needs you, you're going to help me do it. It doesn't make sense to expect God to not make a difference through this, through your efforts. Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost. He is not willing that any should perish. And if I believe that, and I should because I've experienced that, then every step in this process, I should have some level of expectancy. That at some point, something's going to click. Something's going to change right here. And they're going to say, I'm ready to go with you. Let's have that Bible study. And so here, quickly, if they are ready, ask them if you could pray with them about what God wants to do in their life next. And again, you have to know what is next. I told you last week, I have a friend. We're at baptism. We're at the threshold. We've been there for years. But I am ready. And every time I pray, God, give me faith to believe that this is the conversation where that person tells me, I want you to baptize me. I need to have that kind of expectancy in this situation. Now, if they're not ready, that's okay. We accept that decision. We've done all we can. I ran across a quote as a teenager, and I've never forgotten it. No one fails who does their best for God. As a perfectionist, that ministers to me daily because failure is not an option in my world. And yet I understand that if I've done all that I know to do to the best of my ability, as prayerfully as I know how, and somebody is just not ready, they're not willing, they're not convinced, they're not interested, then I accept that decision. But the most important thing I can do at that point is to stay connected to that person. I don't jump ship. I don't distance myself from their life because I'm trying to prove to them I love you no matter what. My interest in you is beyond just getting you to sit in the pew with me at church and make me feel good. But I care about your soul, and I care about what's going on in your life. And if that means that you go to church somewhere else or you don't go to all go anywhere at all, I'm not going anywhere. Because I'm still building trust with that individual and so what's next as I hasten to my conclusion and get ready for our app turn what to do after they have made the next step okay so let's just assume they tell you after you've been close to them you've communicated to them clearly either your testimony or the gospel in one form or another and you've had that moment where you say okay What can I pray with you about? What do you feel like God is trying to get your attention about? What do you think God is asking of you? And they say, you know what, this is what it is. Then this is what we do with that. We celebrate it first. We encourage them always. Even if they're not making the progress that we think they should because we have given blood and sweat and tears and dollars and hours and time. Even if it's not what we had hoped, we encourage them with whatever their decision is to get closer to Jesus Christ. The second thing is we affirm their commitment. We tell them things like, you know what, God is going to help you with that. God hears your prayers. Do we realize that sometimes we are the only person in someone's life that is encouraging them? To consider making Jesus a part of their lives. For a lot of people. They have no support. They have the opposite of support. They have people pulling them back. Because they like them the way that they are. Even though they're unhappy. And they're miserable. And they're addicted. And their life is spiraling out of control. They're, they're afraid for them. For whatever reason. And so you and I have a very important role of support in their life to say you can do this you and jesus can get through anything and i'm here for you the next thing we can do for them is paint a realistic picture of what it looks like now that they've made a decision now that they've been baptized now that they're coming to church on a regular basis and that's not to say go be a prophet of gloom and doom and say well when i got saved all hell broke loose and i just think you need to know that. Come on. Use some wisdom. Use some sensitivity to say, you know what? This is amazing. Jesus is going to change your life. But life isn't a bed of roses either. And just because we come to Christ and they come to church maybe with you and see all of these beautiful people that seem so happy and free. You've got to help them read between the lines to say, but we're still people The Bible lets us know bad things happen to everybody. And it's okay to be honest in that moment and say, you know what? This is what it's probably going to be like right now. Or maybe they come to you with a situation and just say, you know what? I'm not surprised because it's part of the journey. It's part of the process. And then finally, explain steps to them for spiritual growth. Help them find resources to promote what the what the good habits are that they're feeling they want to implement in their life, and maybe that means telling them what Christian music you like, help them find something else to listen to. That in itself can change someone's life. Tell them about the the Christian podcast that you listen to. Tell them about our podcast. Give them a devotional resource. Tell them about you version. If I've taught you a Bible study, I have gotten out my phone. Kristen's shaking her head. And I have said, see this this app with the Bible on it? Download it right now. Because this is going to help you. Have the Bible with you wherever you go. You can't assume that people know. They're counting on you to show them, to help them, to equip them moving forward. And so, here's the bottom line tonight. And this is where we're going to end for right now. That discipleship requires Long-term spiritual nurturing and support. I love John chapter 3 where Nicodemus comes to Jesus. My dad preached a sermon when I was younger called Nick at Night. and I thought that was so clever. (laughs) Because the Bible says he came to Jesus at night because he was concerned about what his fellow Pharisees would think. But I want to read to you... um, Just a few verses here in John 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so let me give you some practical insight into this whole idea of a long-term impact in helping somebody become a disciple. Jesus said that everyone who comes into the kingdom of God has to be born again. Now, we understand that to be born of water and of the Spirit. But think about what that terminology implies. It implies a fresh start, a do-over, a brand-new beginning. And so if you're discipling someone, I don't mean to make you uncomfortable with this term, but you're essentially having a baby. This person that you are talking to and bringing to the Lord is new to Christ, and God has placed you in their lives in a spiritual parental role. This idea of someone being new or young in Christ requires spiritual leadership from you and spiritual dependency on you from them. Our assignment is not completed by just sharing our testimony, maybe making a difference in some practical way, or getting them here to this building. Using this illustration, I think it's helpful to state the obvious in this moment. That a parent's responsibility to a new child goes beyond birth, goes beyond conception in this crazy world that we live in. A lot is required in the life of an infant in the first few years of its life. And I know this because thank God I have been there and done that, and I am not going back. I tease Kate now. I enjoy watching her because, you know, I survived that, and it's, it's awesome. And I love her kids in a way I can't love my kids. I just think everything they do is amazing. But sometimes if she's venting or discouraged, I say, you know what? Did you keep Asher alive today? You did a great job. That's all you can do sometimes because he's totally dependent on her. He doesn't understand the danger. He doesn't know how to take care of himself. He is dependent on her for provision and protection, even from himself. And I think most of us can agree that the goal of parenting is to raise a responsible person. A person who becomes an adult eventually and independent of you as their parent. And thank God that is the goal. When you have a spiritual baby, someone young in the Lord that you are parenting, I would argue that this same principle applies to the family of God. We don't just come here and drop off our spiritual babies at the doorstep. Say, Pastor Tom, you've got to work on this one. Good luck with that. No, this is not an orphanage. This is not an orphanage for lost people. To be dropped off and hope that somebody just kind of takes care of them and and helps them get through. No, this is a family. And it's even a hospital sometimes. And that requires involvement. That requires great intention on our part. And having said that, we come to our app time. And in light of everything that we've just discussed here at the end, I want you to think about someone in your life who helped disciple you I want you to in our conversation describe that individual who they were maybe and what about your experience with God How, how did they help you what did they do what was their involvement like in your life now if you were raised in church like me then maybe it's a Sunday school teacher Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's your youth pastor. All right, so we're going to take a few minutes and just discuss among ourselves who in your life helped disciple you. All right, here we go. All right, I invite you to stand with me as you wrap up your conversation, which sounds great, by the way. But I hope that in thinking about somebody who helped you become a disciple, that maybe there's something about their approach with you or the way that they um, interacted with you maybe gave you some practical help on just how to talk to the lord and and what to do with all the changes you felt like you, you needed to make i hope in thinking about those individuals that it inspires you to be that to somebody else cuz none of us stand here all on our own in our own you know right or merit you know i can i can go around The room on a Sunday morning and tell you people in the congregation here at the Calvary Church that were very important in my formation as a kid growing up in this church. People that taught me in Sunday school. People that just let me know they cared about me through different phases in my life. And we've got to do that for other people. We are recipients of grace and so God allows us to in turn Be vessels of grace and his love in the lives of other people. And so I want to conclude with prayer and let you know that next week we're going to begin a new series called Making Disciples. And we are going to talk, like I made reference to last week, about how to teach a Bible study. Uh, We're even going to have a, a panel discussion of sorts with different people who... Um, God has used in various ways to evangelize and I'm excited about that because the whole point of this is that we believe in spiritual transformation. That's what we believe that Jesus died on the cross for. That is the message of hope that we offer to people is that you don't have to be the same. You can be changed and God will always have more for you. Do you believe that? Are you experiencing that in your life right now? Amen. And when I think about that, it gets me fired up to say, God, I want other people to have what I have and feel what I feel and experience what I continue to experience because you are at the center of my life. Let's pray together. Jesus, I love you and I thank you for this great group of people and the time that we've had together in your word through this series. God, you've spoken so clearly to us, not just on wednesday nights but even on sundays at the beginning of this year lord that you are calling us to go to tell to make disciples lord to fulfill your commission lord your assignment to your disciples when you left this earth and god we want to do that we're processing it We're praying about it. Some of us are actively doing it. But Lord, I just pray you continue to deal with our hearts as you trust us with open doors of opportunity to talk to people, Lord. Help us to proceed with sensitivity, with a willingness and a heart of expectation, Lord, that you want to help people. You want to save people. And you want to use us to help you do that. And so, God, I pray you're covering on us the rest of this week. Let us be a blessing to those around us in any way you see fit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You are dismissed. Thanks so much for being here tonight.
0: This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church,